I just want to really quickly say what a joy it is to be able to come alongside of these families and these students in this big decision that you've made. And to celebrate with many of you this morning through baptism is a joy for our church family. And so I want to say it's a great opportunity for you to be able to do this. And thank you for this opportunity to be a part of this this morning. Now, we want you to know as students that this is not a landing spot. This is not the end for you. This is just the beginning. This is the beginning of your faith journey to allow Jesus to do in your life all that he wants to do to guide you and direct you. And we look forward as a church to be able to help come alongside of you to make that possible. Watching you guys make this decision and to celebrate confirmation this morning reminds me of kind of my original roots as a Christian. I grew up in rural Indiana, and I went to a small little United Methodist Church called Dayton United Methodist Church. It was small at the time. It's not so small now. And I had a pastor named John Walls, who I'm eternally grateful for John's investment in my life, his encouragement within my life, his counsel within my life. It really was a place for me to be able to grow with my family that I loved growing up as a kid. As a seven-year-old kid, um, I went to a church service at our church with my family, and uh, my pastor had invited a friend to come and lead worship and to sing and then to, to speak, and at the end of that ministry time, he gave the invitation for anybody in the room who wanted to come forward and kneel down at the altar and become a Christian, they could, and he welcomed them to come. And I remember as a seven-year-old kid, I didn't fully understand what was happening then, but I know now what was going on. The, the Spirit of God was impressing upon my heart to move and to respond to the invitation that was given. So I remember feeling this kind of weight on my chest, just feeling like I had to go up front and make this decision to go to the altar. And so I talked to my mom's shirt. I was like, Mom, I've got to go to the altar. I've got to go down there right now. She said, okay, we'll talk about it. What a great mom. We'll talk about it later on, and we'll deal with this in a little bit. I said, okay, okay. So I sat there for a few more seconds, and I realized, I, I, so I tugged again, like, Mom, I've got to go down there. I've got to go to the altar. And she said, okay, just be patient. We'll talk about it a little bit. So sure enough, I got up by myself, and I went to the altar myself. My parents tagged behind I finally got to the altar and I knelt down and right there as a seven-year-old kid, I made the decision to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Now, I didn't fully understand the decision I had made right there and then, but there's a process that has happened within my life now to the point where I am today that I'm so thankful for the Spirit of God living and dwelling inside of me and working in me and working then through me. And so I could take you, if, if you were willing, to go to Dayton, Indiana and travel with me. I could take you into what is now the student room, which used to be the uh, main sanctuary. Sound familiar anybody? main sanctuary that is now the student room, and I could walk you to the front of that, that student room where there's still an altar, and I could show you on that red carpet where my little seven-year-old knees hit the floor, and I became a Christian, and I, I made the decision to follow Jesus. I'm, I'm forever grateful for that decision that I made, but it wasn't the end. For me, it was just the beginning, and the same is true for these confirmation students, and today as we celebrate in a really significant kind of way, it's the same thing. It's, it's the beginning of the opportunity for God to work within our life to lead us and to grow us and shape us. A fundamental conviction of, Christi of Christians throughout Christian history is that God is not somewhere far off, uninterested in our life, uninterested in our world, but instead God is actually very, very close to us. God has come close in very real and significant kind of ways. It is a fundamental conviction within Christianity also that there are these places, these sacred moments, these sacred spaces where humanity seems to encounter God's divinity in monumental and miraculous ways. And when this happens, they become milestones for us, kind of like confirmation. They become milestones. They become markers. They become holy moments. Within Jewish culture in the Old Testament, we are told that the Jewish people believed that the temple was the place where God's spirit dwelled. His physical spirit dwelled within the temple. And so because of that, the priests were very careful when they would go into the temple and they would worship God because they believed humanity and divinity were meeting. It was a sacred space for them. For hundreds of years, up until this present day, Christians have taken pilgrimages, 
long walks or hikes along sacred trails and streets to very significant and sacred places like the Western Wall in Jerusalem, the Cathedral of Astorga in Spain, the the Canterbury Cathedral in England, among many others. These have all been locations where people have come and they've encountered God in a very, very special way. And the New Testament tells us now that because of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we now have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of us. And so our bodies, the Bible says, now have become the new temple. It is the place in which God's Spirit actually dwells, lives inside of you. Which means where you are as a follower of Jesus is where God is, because he lives inside of you. So maybe this morning, or each and every morning, you get up and you get your, your mug of coffee and your Bible, and you sit in the same spot every morning, in your living room, on the porch, you drink your coffee, you read your Bible. This is a sacred space where you encounter God. Maybe there's a certain hike that you love to go on, up a trail, you get to this like beautiful vista view, and you get there, you sit down, and you pray, and you spend time. That is a sacred space, a place where you can meet God in a very, very special way. You see, God is always with us. And sometimes we become keenly aware of his presence. We become aware of his presence in a new and fresh kind of way. What this means is all of life is sacred. All of life is sacred, but not all of life is sacramental. All of life is sacred, but not all of life is sacramental. Sacred simply means that something is holy or it is set apart. According to the scriptures, we know that we are fully physical beings, but also we are spiritual beings because God has breathed his life into us. All of our life is spiritual. You can't separate one from the other. The way you love your wife is sacred. The way you do your homework can be sacred. The way you spend your weekend is sacred. The way you serve others is sacred. It's holy. However, We do believe and have the conviction that there are certain rituals, rites, practices, and ceremonies that are something unique altogether. These things are called sacraments. Sacraments. Now, a sacrament is a visible sign. It's an outward expression of an inward grace that God has given to every single human being. An inward grace that God is offering to us each and every day. You see, God is always present with us, but he's especially present with us within the sacraments. Now, within the Methodist church, we believe that there are two sacraments. We believe that baptism is a sacrament, and we believe that communion is a sacrament. It's an holy opportunity to repent sincerely and exhibit faith obediently. This is a sacrament. And so this morning, we're going to celebrate in baptism. We have, I believe, 20 people that were baptized at the 9 o'clock service. We have 20 more who are being baptized this service. It's a great celebration. It is a unique place, a sacred space where we meet God in a very unique kind of way. Now, next week, I'm very excited because we're going to celebrate communion together as a church for the first time in months, right? Now, it'll be a little different, socially distanced, of course, but we are going to take communion with one another and remember the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to be preaching here again on this stage next weekend on communion, and we're going to celebrate together. It's a sacred space. So during this series, Sacred Spaces, we're going to be looking at all the places that God meets us in a very unique kind of way. Baptism, communion, and our third week, it's not a sacrament, but it's something very sacred. We're going to look at the Holy Scriptures, the Bible that God has given to us that we might encounter him in a very real and significant kind of way. So all of life is sacred, but not all of life is sacramental. 
Now, I want to look in the scriptures in some different ways that baptism is talked about, baptism is introduced to us, because within the scriptures, we are giving this picture of what it means to be someone who follows Jesus, what it means to be baptized. There are multiple lenses, multiple images, actually many of them, but this morning, I want to focus just on three of them. Because if you are someone who's been to a church before and you've seen a baptism or you've participated in a baptism, potentially you've had two different reactions. For someone who is familiar with the significance of baptism, it might be very powerful and moving to watch someone be baptized, whether it's an adult or it's an infant. But for someone who's unfamiliar with baptism, it could be kind of an odd situation. In any other circumstance, two individuals in thigh-deep water dunking each other under the water might be a little odd, right? Or for us to pour water or sprinkle water on, on the head of an infant might be a bit odd. And so what I want to do this morning is look at three different images, three lenses that were given in Scripture for what baptism is to hopefully clarify and for us to celebrate the sacred space that is baptism. The first one is this. Baptism is a cleansing and a healing. Baptism is a cleansing and a healing. One of the first characters that we come across within the book of Matthew in Matthew chapter 3 is a man named John the Baptist. Now, you may have heard of John the Baptist. He's an interesting character. He's a bit odd. He is a person who lives in the wilderness. He eats locusts, he eats honey, and he wears camel hair coats. Who's signing up for that, right? John the Baptist was a bit eccentric, but John the Baptist was going to the Jordan River, and he was inviting people to come be baptized under the waters of the Jordan in order to be forgiven of sin. And so he's inviting them to come to the river side to be baptized. Now, baptism was a practice that has its origins actually way before John the Baptist ever shows up on the scenes. In fact, baptism was something that was participated in and celebrated within Jewish culture far before Matthew chapter 3. In fact, many scholars believe that this practice of baptism goes all the way back to the Old Testament in Leviticus 16, which is the ritual ceremonial cleansing the priests would go through to go into the Holy of Holies. And here's why. Sin fundamentally is a barrier to full connection to a holy God. Sin is a barrier. And so there must be some kind of physical, or for the Jewish people, ceremonial cleansing that takes place. And the way they would do this is through the washing of water. The washing of water. Now, if you've ever been in the summertime and done a whole day's long work in the yard in the summer, you know what it's like to get really, really dirty and nasty, right? Anybody? This is like your favorite thing to do in the world. You go outside, you get like, you mow and see so grass clippings all over you. You play in the dirt, you get it under your fingernails. And if you've ever worked all day long, really hard manual labor, you come inside that kind of dirty and you take a shower, like the kind where the water changes color kind of dirty, you know what I'm talking about? That kind of long, hard day, that kind of dirty, and you wash and you're clean. When you get out of a shower like that, you know your outward body is physically clean, but somehow you almost feel like the inside of you is clean as well, right? You feel like a new person. This is the symbol of what baptism has within the New Testament. It's this washing of water, and it was this this, uh, washing to become a new person, something new altogether. This washing was not for salvation. This washing was not done to save people, but was an expression of an inward desire of people who want to repent and want to be forgiven. This was an outward expression of this, a physical grace of God. And so John the Baptist is inviting people to the River Jordan to come be baptized. We find him in Matthew chapter 3. And it's a physical uh, expression of an inward desire these folks have. And in chapter 3 of Matthew, as, as John the Baptist is by the river, all of a sudden Jesus shows up to come and be baptized. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 3 verse 11. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance. 
But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to even carry. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. So John the Baptist is saying, I'm washing you ceremonially for this cleansing from sin, but there is somebody who's coming who's even better than me. Who's not just gonna wash you with water, he's gonna wash you with fire and the Holy Spirit. Gonna do something inside of you that I can't even do, John the Baptist says. I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. And then this is what it says in chapter 13, two verses later. Then Jesus comes from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And yet you come for me to baptize you. This is, John's like, I can't do this. I can't even carry your sandals and you're asking me to baptize you. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. So Jesus comes to John at the River Jordan and says, I need you to baptize me. John's like, I'm very hesitant about this. I shouldn't because I can't even carry your sandals. Jesus says, we have to. This is how we fulfill all righteousness. And John says, okay, then let's do it. Jesus is legitimizing the practice of baptism. He's giving us an example to follow. He's legitimizing the sacrament, the shared custom, the sacred custom in which people would come and connect with God through the practice of righteousness. Through baptism, Jesus says, I want you to baptize me. You need to understand this. Jesus does not need to be baptized. He's sinless. He's never done anything wrong. So this is very backward. No wonder John the Baptist doesn't want to do it. But Jesus says it's necessary for the fulfillment of all righteousness. The Bible says John consented. He baptized Jesus in the river. And the Bible tells us that John pulls Jesus up out of the water in the river. Apparently, Jesus is immersed. He's placed under the water. Now, in the ancient Near East, there were multiple different ways people would be baptized. One of those ways we're going to celebrate here just in a few minutes with 20 individuals in the service, and that's immersion, being fully covered by the water, under the water, and then brought back up out of the water. But other ways that it was practiced in the ancient Near East was, was sprinkling. You would take water, and you would literally sprinkle it on the heads of those who were being baptized. Whether it was an infant, you would sprinkle it on their head, or an adult, same thing, you would put it on their head, and you would baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You were putting them under the water to then come back out of the water. Another way they would do this is they would take a basin and they would pour water over the head of the individual who's being baptized. And they would pour it over their head as a symbol of them being placed under the water and once again brought back up out of the water. Here's the significance. When Jesus died, crucified on the cross, was laid in a tomb, then so too, when you are baptized in immersion under the water, when it goes on your head and sprinkling or poured over your head, you too are going under the water of baptism. And just as Jesus rose from the dead, when you come back out of the water, you walk in new life. So the way this took place in the ancient Near East was multiple different ways. We actually at Mount Horror, we will do any one of these three different ways of baptism. Any one of these three modes, we believe, is a, a, a real and actual way to practice baptism. It's symbolic of a cleansing from sin and a healing for our souls. It's an outward expression of an inward decision that we want to allow God's grace and we want to recognize God's grace that is already on us and his faithfulness towards us. The second image, the second way that the Bible talks about baptism, not only is it a cleansing and a healing, but it's also a death and resurrection. A death and resurrection. You see, for the Christian, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important moment in all of human history. It defines everything Jesus' death and resurrection. It is the power of God on display through the victory over sin and over death that allows us to experience transformation within our life. 
Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter two. Paul says, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So Paul uses two very important words. He uses the word buried and the word raised. Death and resurrection language is all over the way Paul talks about baptism and their understanding of what baptism meant for the early church. Baptism is a cleansing, it's a healing. It's also a death and a resurrection. There's a story about an African missionary who had three converts within this village. They decided they were going to baptize these three converts in a nearby river. So they went to the river and they dug three different holes in the middle of the river because it wasn't very deep. Those converts then got into the river and they sat down in those holes to make sure there was enough water to cover them for this immersion baptism they were going to do. Now friends and family all gather around and they, they came to see this baptism and the missionary got into the water. He raised his hand in the air and he spoke some of the scriptures we just spoke of. He prayed over them and then he baptized each and every one of them. He baptized the first convert. As soon as he came back up out of the water, he jumped for joy, shouting and screaming and running around like crazy. And sure enough, this silent service was silent no more as he ran and screamed and shouted for joy. The second convert, the same thing happened. He baptized him. He came back out of the the water, shouting and screaming and running. The third convert, same thing, into the water, back out of the water, shouting with joy and screaming. Afterwards, someone came and asked the missionary, what's up with this unusual tradition? What's with all the screaming and yelling? And the missionary said to the one who asked the question, I haven't been able to completely communicate in this tribe's language, said the missionary. They heard the scripture I gave them, but they didn't understand the symbolic nature of it. When I told them they would be buried with him in baptism into death and raised to walk in newness of life, they actually thought baptism would kill them. Now the one asking the question of the missionary kind of began to chuckle when they heard that story until the missionary froze them with his gaze and he said, let me ask you a question. If you thought baptism would kill you, would you be willing to get into the river? See, baptism, with every baptism, there's a death of some kind. You know, many people, they decide to become baptized, but they don't understand the significance and the seriousness of this particular expression, this outward expression of an inward desire. Indeed, something dies at a baptism. It is our old self. The old way of living is meant to die. As we are buried in the waters of baptism, so is our old self, the way we used to live. As we rise back out of those waters to rise and walk a new life, we walk into a brand new life empowered by the Spirit of God to live fresh and to live anew. A death indeed does happen. You can take this to the bank. Baptism will always cost us something. A submission to Jesus' leadership in our life will always cost us something. The question is, do you believe it's worth it? Do you believe it's worth it? So upon Jesus' baptism by John... He comes back up out of the water and a sacred moment takes place. And the very voice of God booms over his son. And here's what it says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. John baptizes Jesus. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Jesus is baptized, and God's approval of his son, his absolute pleasure, is expressed over his son. Not because Jesus has done anything, his ministry has not even begun, simply because he is his son. God names him, and then he claims him. This is my son, and who I'm well pleased. 
God knows that Jesus is about to begin a three-year-long ministry that will ultimately, it will ultimately culminate in his crucifixion and his death and his resurrection and the rescuing of all of humankind, all of creation. And so when God sees his son begin this step, he pronounces pleasure over him. This is my son in who I'm well pleased. I love him just because he is mine. You see, this for Jesus is not a landing spot. It's a launching pad. This is not the end of Jesus's ministry. This is the beginning of Jesus's ministry. And the same thing is true for us through baptism. This is not a landing spot. This is a launching pad. One of the reasons that we baptize infants within the Methodist church is because we don't believe this is the end for them. This is the beginning. And this infant then, we as a church, we promise to help this child grow in faith that they might one day in turn profess their faith in Jesus for themselves. But we baptize them knowing this is the beginning. This is not a landing spot. This is a launching pad. For anyone as an adult who becomes baptized, puts their faith in Jesus, experiences the waters of baptism, this is not the end for you. You've not arrived. This is the beginning of your faith journey, allowing God to do the work that he wants to do within you until the day of completion. This is not a culmination. This is a beginning for you students who have gone through confirmation. The same thing is true for us as we experience the waters of baptism. This is just the beginning for us. So as someone is placed under the water of baptism, sprinkling, pouring, immersion, they are symbolically, they are symbolically united with Jesus Christ in his death, and then they raise to new life, to experience a new life in Jesus Christ. Baptism is a death and it is a resurrection. Baptism is cleansing and healing, but it's also a death and a resurrection. Lastly, baptism is an initiation into the life of the church. Baptism is initiation into the life of the church. You see, through baptism, we become a part of something that is bigger than ourselves. Through baptism, we are initiated into a church family that nurtures and grows us in our faith. When we perform a baptism like this that we will today in front of the entire church, whether infant or adult, we do this because it's a public expression of belonging, a public expression of belonging to this church. And it offers accountability to those individuals being baptized, families for their infant being baptized, and for us as a church who promise to create a space full of love and forgiveness. It's a reminder every single time that we have been initiated into something bigger than ourselves Here's the way Paul says it in Galatians chapter three, verses 27 through 28. Paul says this, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There's no male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul says if you've been baptized in Christ then you have been clothed in Christ. And being clothed in Christ means you put on all the attributes of Jesus as you begin to follow him and you are in good company. You're a part of something. It's a unifying act. Paul says there is now no Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, Democrat nor Republican, rich nor poor. Do you hear me? All the distinctions, they don't magically go away. They exist still. But there's a unification that takes place beyond all of those things. Being baptized in Christ and also clothed in Christ. You are a part of something bigger than yourself. You're a part of a church family. My wife and I, I've recently moved. Well, to be clear, we are moving and are living with my parents right now for six weeks. That's fun. <laughs> with all my children. And we moved a box out of my attic. And when we did, I found my high school letterman jacket. And guess what? It still fits. It was a little big when I was a kid. But anyway, so 
I found this thing, and as soon as I saw that, all I wanted to do was say this, MC, MCC, UT, UTC, H-E-E-O-N, McCutcheon, McCutcheon. Y'all have no idea what I'm talking about. But there are some people watching online probably right now from Lafayette, Indiana, who knows exactly what I'm talking about. When I got this letter jacket, I was so excited to wear this to school. And every person that I saw, all my football buddies with the, with the badge on the back talking about our 1999 sectional championship, yes, I'm still talking about it and reliving it in my life. Every person I saw, I'm like, that's right. I see your jacket. I see your jacket. I see your badge. We're all a part of this thing together. When I would walk out and go to the mall or in town somewhere, I'd see somebody wearing a McCutcheon jacket. I'd be like, yes, you know exactly. We had the same experience. We're part of the same family. The truth is, when I got this Letterman jacket, it was an initiation into something that was bigger than me. It was an initiation to be a part of a school, to be part of a team, to be part of a community that was bigger than just me. And so when Paul says being baptized in Christ means being clothed in Christ, it means you put him on. And when you encounter someone else who's been baptized in Christ, who has put on Christ in their life as well, clothed in Christ, you are a part of something that they're a part of as well. And it's a church family. It's bigger than you. And through baptism, we get to be a part of it. When we make the decision to be baptized, we become a part of God's holy family. If it's an infant being baptized, we believe as a part of our church, we are committed to help steer that child then as they grow up to make a decision to follow Jesus and experience salvation for themselves. And for an adult who's baptized in this church, we then, we commit as a church to foster a community of love and forgiveness. It is a badge of honor. It's a public expression. It's a grace of God that is in your life and it's an honor to be a part of. You see, baptism is really more about what God does for you as opposed to what you're doing for God. Baptism is the expression and the recognition that God's grace is already on you, already drawing you, already loving you, and you can't do a thing to earn it. We acknowledge that through baptism. It's all about God's faithfulness towards you. So if you're baptized as an infant and you forget all about him, guess what? God never, he never forgets about you. Just like God names and claims Jesus, he names and he claims you. As an infant, as an adult, through baptism, you're a part of a family. And God never, ever, ever forgets, even if we do. He never forgets our baptism. It's one of the reasons that we call confirmation, confirmation. Ideally, a child who's baptized as an infant grows up, and for us, it's in eighth grade, goes through a confirmation experience, maybe decides to follow Jesus with their entire life, then that baptism is confirmed now. It's confirmation. It's what this whole thing is about. And guess what? From the time you were a child to the time you're in eighth grade, I guess now freshman, God has never forgotten about you. He's always pursued you, and he will continue to pursue you. And this is not a landing spot. It's not the end. It is a launching pad to where God wants you to go next and what he wants to do within your life. We are a part of what God is doing in the world and the sacrament of baptism initiates us into that. I wanna be clear. A sacrament is really only as good as the sincerity at which it takes place. And a sacrament only has an effect within our life as long as we choose to remember it and keep it fresh. So I wanna encourage you to one thing this morning, remember your baptism One of the beautiful things about the Methodist church is just as much as we celebrate baptism, immersion, sprinkling, dunking, uh, pouring, we also believe that we as Christians who have been baptized need to often remember our baptism 
to remind ourselves that God has been faithful to us, to remind ourselves that we've been cleansed, we've been healed, to remind ourselves that we have experienced death, but also we've experienced resurrection, to remind ourselves we're we're part of something bigger than ourselves, we're a part of the family of God. Remember your baptism. Hopefully today, as we watch these individuals make this decision to be baptized today, it reminds us once again of what God has already done within our own lives. And it keeps it fresh. And they keep our commitment. And we're energized once again by God's faithfulness within our life. You know, when Martin Luther wrote the 95 Theses and he nailed it to the door, which sparked the, Re- the Reformation and, and brought grace into a whole new conversation for the church and really changed everything, particularly for the Protestant church. After this took place, he was exiled from the Catholic church. His, his life was threatened. He kind of went into hiding. And we know from history that Martin Luther went through a lot of depression and anxiety, really battled a lot of demons and a lot of evil in his life. And he was, he was really struggling um, in a lot of different ways. But we're told that as Martin Luther struggled with this life that he experienced, there were days where he would get up and he would, he would feel this depression creep in, this anxiety creep in. He would take his hand, he would place it on his head, and he would declare out loud, I am baptized. Next day, I am baptized. I am baptized. He reminded himself over and over and over again, no, 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 I've been cleansed, I've been healed. I've experienced death and resurrection, and I'm a part of the family of God. I am baptized. Remember your baptism. There may be some this morning, maybe this life has not been so easy for you. Past months, year, whatever, has been very difficult. And you wrestle and you struggle. Let me remind you of something today. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you've experienced the waters of baptism, you are a part of something bigger than yourself. You are healed and you are cleansed. You've experienced death so that you might experience resurrection and new life. You are baptized. So this morning, my prayer would be this. As we take part in this baptism today, as we watch these individuals go under the water of baptism, may it be fresh for us once again. My prayer would be this morning, Jesus, make this place a sacred space where we could encounter you in a new kind of way. Let us pray. Father, we come before you today. We want to thank you for the fact that you are not somewhere far off, uninterested in our lives, but instead you come close to us. You are intimately involved with everything that happens within our life, and you offer us these opportunities, these spaces, these places, these moments that are sacred. And I pray, God, as we take part in baptism today, that you would remind those of us who have been baptized that we're a part of your family. Will we celebrate every individual making these decisions today, God? Because this is the beginning for them of a, a lifelong journey towards all that God has for them. And I pray for every single student and adult who's baptized today that they would be steeled by your Holy Spirit within their life to make the right decision each and every day that they would choose you over and over and over again no matter what comes their way. And for those of us today, God, who are struggling, who are hurting Would you remind us, God, of your love for us? Would you remind us of the cleansing and the healing? Would you remind us of the death and resurrection? Would you remind us we're a part of your family? We love you with our whole hearts. Help us to love you more and experience you in unique and special ways today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.